for myself and many others, justice for the Armenian genocide is not just about the people who perished or were displaced, but it's also for the memory and legacy of their ancestors immortalized through the stones and monuments they created across our homeland. A physical reminder of the timeless stories of our families and our nation going back many millennia. In other words, the genocide was not only an attempt to eliminate the Armenian people, but also an attempt to destroy the Armenian story, past and future, as if we never existed. Targeting our history, targeting our heritage sites, is at the core of what makes it a genocide. Thousands upon thousands of Armenian structures throughout Western Armenia have been reduced to rubble, or at best, a handful of brutally mislabeled tourist sites. Azerbaijan is part of this genocide, the genocide to erase our existence from Armenia and from Artsakh, in the future and the past. I'm Krista Marina Apardian. And I'm Haig Minasyan. And you're listening to Haituk Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. Today's episode, Cultural Genocide, the Erasure of Armenia's Past. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Today's guest is Simon Marakian. Simon Marakian is a political analyst, lecturer, and activist. Previously an Amnesty International specialist, Marakian now also consults on advocacy in 18 Western states for a grassroots Armenian-American organization. For over 10 years, Marakian has documented what he considers to be our century's worst yet least known cultural genocide. His work has sparked the creation of films, articles, satellite investigation, and ultimately the launch of Julfa.com an online museum dedicated to documenting and publicizing the intentional destruction of the largest medieval Armenian cemetery at Julfa, as well as Khachkars and other ancient Armenian monuments. In 2015, he even helped erect a replica of a destroyed Khachkar at Colorado's capital, where he is currently based. In light of UNESCO's failure to investigate, in 2018, Marakyan began focusing his research on the Azerbaijani government's destruction of all traces of Armenian culture in Nakhichevan. Upon the recent events in Artsakh, the destruction of Armenian churches and monuments become of particular concern, making Marakyan's work that much more vital to preserving our history. Nakhichevan, a region adjacent to Armenia's southeast, which is part of modern-day Azerbaijan today, has been completely depopulated of its Armenian indigenous population and its cultural heritage serving as an example of what we feared would be the result in Artsakh. This conversation with Simon took place in October, but since the occupation of lands throughout Artsakh, this work once again becomes especially vital and urgent. Simon, thanks for coming. Uh, we're all big fans of your work, and mm-hmm. you've been doing great stuff. You are currently in Denver, correct? Colorado? Yes. Thank it, you for the invitation. I have lived in Denver for the past 17 years after immigrating here from Yerevan. Oh, nice. How is the Armenian community in Denver? I mean, you guys have been doing a lot recently. Yes, we have an amazing uh, community over the past few weeks. We have had several protests. We got two of the U.S. senators, the first two, and unfortunately so far only outside of the East Coast, to make strong statements in support of Artsakh. Um, we were able to uh, get like it Martin to engage with us and we're continuing the protest tomorrow because they have not delivered on our asks yet, but we have heard that it's actually moving conversations with the U.S. government on the sanctions front. Uh, and historically, this community has been very politically active. We're the first and only 
state to have a Khachkar on the grounds of our capital. We have the Sardar Pada Armenia Memorial Highway. Nice. We had our soccer recognized last year. And Amazing. we, um, yeah, we had an Armenian candidate run for the state house, uh, last, for earlier this year. Unfortunately, he lost ballot access by three votes. I would have voted <laughs> for you, man. <laughs> I got to move to Denver. I know, yalla. But also, you guys got the Armenian genocide in the curriculum, right? In the education curriculum in Colorado. That was a recent one. Oh, yes, win. of course. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, uh, on the day of today, the, the, the taping of this, uh, I'm also a member of the state commission. We're incorporating uh, the Holocaust and the Armenian genocide into the state standards. So it's not only the law now, we're also in the process of implementing the law, which is the hardest part. Amazing. That's awesome. And so you said 17 years ago you moved from Yerevan, so your roots are from Hayastan? Yes. I was born in Yerevan to a family of genocide survivors on my dad's side. Direct roots uh, on the father's side are in Urfa. Um, uh, less than a mile from the St. in the St. Holy Mother of God Church, yeah. in the Malak Olum uh, intersection next to the Bajakcha Meidani uh, Calder Square. Um, that's also where the Yodia Fayans lived. And I happen to know that information because, as you know, the Urfa self-defense was better organized than, than, than in most communities. So there's a map of the self-defense which identifies the family home. Um, on my father's side, uh, going, you know, uh, deeper in the roots, I also have connections in Diyarbakir, in, in Istanbul, and, and a Syrian ancestor uh, on, on that side, nice. who was also killed in the, in the genocide. On my mom's side, um, they're originally from the uh, Mount Arad uh, area from Bayasker. Mm-hmm. Uh, they moved to um, uh Armenia in the 19th century, Eastern Armenia, uh, in what is now Gavar. And on my mom's father's side, uh, I'm from Tavush or Tavush, mm. uh, and most likely originally from Artsakh. We have an ancestor who was killed when the Bolsheviks took over and we have lost like the history behind, you know, that it happened between the most likely, uh, you know, roots there as well. Um, you know, like all Armenians, I'm proud of, uh, my heritage, but as you may know, I've been involved, you know, with, um, many human rights causes uh, throughout throughout my uh, life so far, and intend to do so. But right now, like every Armenian, I you know have been living and and breathing this uh, genocidal onslaught that we've been going through. So it sounds like you have Western and Eastern. It's like a classic. I feel like these days. And uh, so you do have family from Artsakh, let's say a hundred years ago, but no family from Nakhichevan, correct? Because that's where well, you worked. Well, a lot of Armenians from. Artsakh were originally from Nakhichevan. They had moved around by uh, Iran Shah in the 17th century. And then the, the Russians brought some of them back to, you know, closer to the Armenian highlands, uh, mm-hmm. into the Artsakh area. Who knows, you know, where where we are? I know, like, all Armenians were indigenous to the Armenian highlands. We have been moved around by Tsars and Shahs and Sultans. We're even on our uh, own, you know. So, you know, it, do- it doesn't matter we're part of Armenia that we were ind- indigenous to that land and yeah. Um, that, that's where our roots are. And, and I, I understand why you're asking the question. So no, no connection to Nakhichevan that I know of. No, but it's a good point because I always think it's funny when, uh, when Lebanese and Syrian Armenians go moving back to Armenia and Turks will be like, oh, you know, they're from the Middle East. Well, I'm like, look, their heritage is, is Armenian. They still have a right to Armenian indigenous land, whether their family specifically from Artsakh or Nakhichevan or this or there. So, um, mm. that being said, uh, have you ever been? You never got a chance to go to Nakhichevan, correct? 
not into Nakhijevan. I've been to its southern borders uh, in oh. 2013. I went to northern Iran across the border. Uh, told my mom I was partying in Yerevan. Nice. Um, <laughs> and she was back, you know, home in, in, in Denver. And so I, I sneaked into Iran yeah. with an Armenian passport because the yeah. U.S. one would have gotten me in jail. It was at the height of the uh, U.S. sanctions under the Obama administration. The first question I got out at the airport was if I was a Christian and I said yes, because, you know, we, we are Christian. I, I'm not very religious, but at that time I felt like it. And the guard mocked uh, Jesus by asking if, you know, Jesus is the son of God. And, oh, geez. You know, I had two competing interests. I wanted to make sure I get in. But second, I don't want to be insulted. Um, and so, uh, you know, when, when you know a little bit about world religions, you know, you can get away with questions like that. And I said, yes, Jesus is a prophet for Muslims. And son of God for Christian. Nice answer. Mm. That's an excellent and answer. And looked at him with an angry face. <laughs> and he was like, of course, of course, sir. Nice. Welcome to Iran. Uh, I was like, merci, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. So, Simon, to talk about, you know, the work that took you there. So, um, you, as a political science researcher, you've embarked on this journey to document um, Azerbaijan's ruin of about 28,000 different Armenian monuments, including medieval mm. churches, intricate khachkars, cross stones, and even 22,000 tombstones. So, mm. where do you start when investigating this form of cultural demolition? Yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated project uh, to, to describe. Um, so, I'll actually start from the beginning. December 15, 2005, um, in the United States, I've lived in this country for um, two years or so and, you know, very much involved in, in human rights work. I'm watching a video from Armenia that's showing the destruction of the Khachkars back uh, in Nakhijevan, the Julfa or Fahim Juha Cemetery that once housed 10,000 medieval Khachkars, the world's largest field of uh, intricately carved cross stones. And I was really upset with what was going on. I was hoping the Armenian government would be able to stop it. They did not. I was hoping there would be media outreach. It did not happen. You know, I was hoping that the international community would really uh, be up in arms like they were about the bombing of the Bami and Buddha, right. um, which was, you know, really more a justification for the U.S. invasion in Afghanistan. I'm not saying the, the, the invasion of Afghanistan was right or wrong, but that's when it actually yeah. became... That's when it became news. It actually had happened earlier, uh, but that's when the, you know, the U.S. government and the, the corporate media that, that followed started using it. So I was under the false, you know, uh, assumption that the world actually cares about human rights violations mm -hmm. and cultural rights violations are, are human rights violations as the world is more uh, eager to recognize today. So that really upset me and it really shook me, um, to my core because for a long time, you know, I had thought that people who do terrible things, you know, there's some, there, there's some justification for it that, that can be forgiven. But there was nothing to forgive about destroying monuments on a part of a country that has no room for development. There was, you know, there was absolutely no reason to destroy the world's largest Armenian medieval cemetery. Mm -hmm. And after, you know, a week, I realized that Azerbaijan was denying it not because they, did not know what they were doing. The denial was part of the part of the destruction. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the descendant of Armenians. Actually, I forgot to mention my father's parents were born in Syria in Aleppo. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you know, two to family from uh, escaped from Urfa, which I mentioned earlier. So the descendant of the genocide. I'd always thought that you know, 
you know, what if, you know, there was more proof that it happened? What, you know, was there a way to convince the church this really happened? Right. And there are obviously some righteous Turks, but, but not enough uh, as of now who, who, who admit it. And so it really bothered me that Azerbaijan was denying and getting away with it. And I was like, well, there's got to be ways to prove it. It's on videotape. You know, there's so many ways to document it. So it, it kind of became in some ways a mini project for me to do what I could not have done for the Armenian genocide. Right. Because it has taken, you know, giants like Wagen Valerian, Khamed Akram and so many others to prove that this happened, right? And and now there's almost zero academic denial about it, except, you know, those who are directly funded or benefit from mm-hmm. Turkish denial. And so so it kind of, you know, was the area where I, where I could be useful. So I, I published articles about it. I eventually convinced the American Association for the National Science to document it through satellite investigations, which, which was the pioneer satellite study uh, of a cultural case of human rights violations. Prior to that, it had all been about the civilian violation, and it actually became sort of the model of, of you know, documenting what ISIS later did to, to monuments. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it became an important cause. I convinced the local Armenian community in Colorado to rebuild one of the 10,000 cross stones on the grounds of the Colorado State Capitol, which was really a monumental undertaking, and Azerbaijan tried really hard to stop it. They were unable to do so. Um, and then in 2018, after getting engaged, five days after I got engaged, I couldn't fall asleep because uh, I realized I had made um, a selective research all this time. I concentrated on the destruction of Jufa, which took place between December 15 and you know early January and went on with its uh, cover-up for a few more months with, with the grading of the... Uh, flat field and, and, and the, the, the temporary shooting breaking was placed there. But I realized that all this time I had concentrated on one episode, the grand finale of the destruction of Nafi Javan's entire medieval army and heritage. But I neglected the churches and the entire heritage that had been wiped out. Mm-hmm. So I got really upset. I, I hadn't done enough research. I knew I needed to do more, even though I'd been studying it for over a decade. So I, I actually send a, a pitch to History Today, the world's largest historical magazine. Uh, that night, they accepted my proposal. I worked on it, a draft for a month. And then I brought in my uh, old friend, Sarah Pickman, um, who is my age and who had also uh, helped me create the film, The New Tears of Araxas, about the destruction of uh, the Jufa Cemetery back in 2006. And so I, she came along for one year, day and night. We worked with the street today on this monumental piece that went through hundreds of revisions. We brought in um, Azerbaijani contributors who remain unnamed. We we had uh, peer reviewers, even Tom DeWall, uh, who is somewhat controversial, right? Both in Armenia and Azerbaijan because he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. sometimes overtly objective uh, and, and pisses people off. Sometimes, you know, he makes yeah. me upset too when he kind of overlooks the genocidal intent of what Azerbaijan is doing yeah. against Armenians. But he, he is the best uh, non-Armenian scholar of, of, of the subject. So yeah, even, the most you know, he got to review it. Yeah. And History Today, something happened. I don't know what. They changed their mind. They did not publish it. Um, Do you think they got pressure was, from, like, foreign governments? Yeah. I mean, they started understanding the monumental nature of the piece, that this was, mm-hmm. you know, something groundbreaking and potentially controversial. It was never controversial. Because every word, every comma, every fact in it is incredibly correct and verified. 
And so uh, Harak Barsanyan, the editor of Hyperallergic uh, magazine, he had known of my work. I talked to him and he, he agreed to publish it. Yeah, I've read that article. It's great. Yeah. The Julfa destruction of this, uh, you know, huge cemetery, it was not just in mm. 2005, right? It was building up to it. They, they maybe had damaged it beforehand. What's the timeline on the, on the, the demolition? Right. So the timeline of Julfa's destruction is very much similar to the timeline of the, the cultural genocide that took place in Nakhijavan. Uh, it started in about late May 1997 uh, with the churches most likely in Agulis, which was like, um, you know, an amazing Armenian town. For some reason, we, we don't know so much about it. But Agulis at some point had 12 churches. Eight of them survived through the Soviet era. And those beautiful medieval churches, some of them, you know, dating to the first century when they were founded as, as chapels mm-hmm. by the apostles, um, in late May, early June 1997, they were, uh, their, their destruction started. And we know this because the amazing Azerbaijani humanist author, Aksam Ailisi, uh, he sent a telegraph to the president of Azerbaijan protesting the destruction. And a few years ago, he, he publicized that information in the Russian version of his famous book, Stone Dream, that was only published in 50 copies. And later, um, and last year, I was given a digital copy of, uh, of uh, his communication, and that's how I know. And the Jufa destruction did not happen the same year. It started in 1998. There were some international protests. It stopped. They resumed in 2002, 2003. There was some international protests. It stopped. And in 2005, after Ilham Aliyev came to power, replaced his father, and after he uh, opened the Baku Tbilisi Jehan pipeline, he felt emboldened mm-hmm. to finish off the cultural genocide that his father was not had not been able to. So December five, two thousand five, or mm-hmm. December six, two thousand five, the Aliyev representative in Nakhijavan, Vasil Talibov, gave an order for the final destruction mm-hmm. of everything that remained, not just Jufa, but they went through every single anything Armenian in Nakhijavan. Yeah, yeah, and they had a deadline. December thirty first, two thousand six, was wow. the deadline to so, finish off that project. So it's an official policy of Azerbaijan to do this cultural genocide, basically, remove Armenian heritage. Is it, or in, is it under in the... Nakhijavan, in Nakhijavan particular, yes. I cannot explain the same for the entire state of Azerbaijan because we are not indigenous to Baku, uh, right? It's not part of the original Armenian. The, the Armenian highlands, highlands, so the areas, yeah. yeah, the original Armenian highlands that are under Azerbaijani um, occupation, Nakhijavan in particular, every single zone of Armenian heritage has been wiped out. It has no precedent in any part of the world, not even in Turkey. We know Turkey has destroyed close to 2,000 Armenian monuments, but some uh, ruins remain, mm-hmm. and some churches have been even re- repaired You know, for propaganda purposes. What has happened in Nakhijavan is unprecedented by any scale of modern or you know, any, 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 anything that has, it's in, inconceivable. And to be honest, a lot of Armenians are still processing. It took myself, um, 10 years, right, to process the enormity of that crime. Right. And that's why I was probably so concentrated with Jufa. And even today, when, when I give interviews, when I talk to Armenian media, Armenian audiences, they're like, oh, Simon is talking about the Hashkars. I'm like, no. I'm not only talking about the Hashkars of Dufa. We're talking about 89 medieval churches that had mm-hmm. survived earthquakes, Caliph, Sultan, Stalin, 
we're talking about uh, 5,840 cross zones, uh, most of them in Dufa, but also across the region. And we're talking about 22,000 tombstones, the flat gravestones, many of them in, 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 in Dufa, but most of them not in that particular area across the Nafi Javan. Every single one has been destroyed, and it was done between 1997 and 2006. Damn. I mean, it really does connect for me with how Turkey's kind of erased our heritage and our monuments there and then what Azerbaijan's doing. Again, for me, it it connects the two parties there. Do you know real fast if what's the policy of the rest of Azerbaijan with Armenian monuments, even if it's not indigenous parts, you know, but uh, are there still active churches or are are they removing it there as well? No, there's no active Armenian churches. There's one Armenian church in Baku out of the original three uh, that has survived. Uh, it's actually the one that was built most recently in the 19th century. Uh, they have uh, kept it uh, as a library, you know, for obvious token propaganda purposes. So those who go on the uh, Baku's, you know, Disneyland propaganda tours are shown that church as a token, mm. as a, yeah, a beacon of as Azerbaijani tolerance. There is an Armenian church building in Ganja, the second largest city that has survived. Mm. And there are Armenian ruins in other parts of Azerbaijan that have not necessarily been completely destroyed, in part because there is another Christian minority in Azerbaijan, the Udi. Um, and Azerbaijan says that those churches belong to Udi. So like in 2005, um, there were Armenian churches uh, in the Udi populated areas where the inscriptions were polished off and they were rebranded as uh, Udi churches. Udi is Caucasian Albanians, right? Or they're connected to maybe them as like the descendants? Yes, most likely the Udis are um, the direct descendants of the Alkhavan or the Caucasian Albanians. Yeah. Although that's not necessarily a scientifically accepted reality, but most likely they are directly related. Uh, Armenians uh, are related to you know, Caucasian Albanians were a brother nation of Armenians. Very and close, yeah. Many of them time. went after the conquest. Yeah, they, they assimilated with the Armenian um, nation uh, and, and uh, as have other uh, ethnicities that have throughout the thousands of years assimilated with, with Armenians. Caucasian Albanians are one of them. Some of them were forced, you know, the, the leftovers were forced to become Turkic at some point. Yeah. Right. And so this is maybe why we have common... Uh, DNA with Azerbaijanis might be through the Caucasian uh, Albanians. Well, something in particular about the Caucasian Albanians is they use the same alphabet as us or something very similar, and they're also uh, apostolic in the sense that our churches were connected. This is like thousands of years ago, Mm -hmm. but uh, there is a close cultural connection there. Their alphabet was most likely created by Mesut Mashtot, who also created the Armenian and the Georgian alphabet. As much as the Georgians hate that fact, I, I really don't know why they're so upset. Um, and so uh, that, that, that script uh, was discovered. There are two sources for the Caucasian Albanian script. There's an Armenian manuscript in Matenadaran in Yerevan, and there's a Coptic uh, manuscript, uh, Coptic uh, Egyptian manuscript that has information on the Caucasian mm-hmm. Albanian alphabet. Um, and I think it was the 7th century, they basically disappeared as people. Yes, they were... Uh, they were like a mini uh, uh, Armenian uh, uh, kingdom that mm. was eventually absorbed into Armenia because yeah. they just could not survive the conquest through, right. through the century. Speaking of um, certain different aspects of culture disappearing, um, Simon, can you talk a little bit about um, Azerbaijan's cultural and historical revisionism and maybe why it's dangerous for, for us long term? 
Well, so Armenians see our monuments, right, as proof of our existence. Um, we don't see ourselves and the monuments separate. Uh, in the Artsakh war, you know, when people will ask, well, why aren't Armenians, you know, um, evacuating Khachkars? Well, we and the people in the Khachkars are, are, are the same. And so Armenians are staying and fighting for their survival, not just for their families, but also the vast heritage. There are about 4,000 um, uh, Armenian cultural sites in the territory of the Artsakh Republic. And as the November 2020 issue of the art newspaper documents in one of their front page stories, all of them uh, are under danger in case of Azerbaijan's success in, in, in their conquest. Yeah. Right. It is important. I mean, there's two French authors whose names escape me, but they're in the hyperallergic piece. They have said that Armenia's oppressors, you know, uh, uh, target Armenian monuments because, our, because those are the monuments in which those are the uh, most direct um, those are the most direct relationships that Armenians have with their ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, so the monuments for us are in some ways our ancestors. Of course. Uh, and, and our connection to the land. And as, as the indigenous people of, the, of that land, when we're targeted, you know, our monuments are also part of that targeting process. Well, uh, Azerbaijan and the Azeri population of Azerbaijan, their, their version of Armenian history is distorted, right? It's been revised. And uh, would you agree that there's a policy of uh, revising the history of the region. And uh, and then it's interesting when they come across these actual monuments, you know, what are they thinking? But Right. So the, there is, yeah, there is uh, the historiography in Azerbaijan is a state-controlled narrative. It actually started in the Soviet era in the 60s, actually in the 50s, if you go back. So after the Stalinist era was shaking up and there was uh, the thaw uh, or... Uh, the destalinization that happened in the Soviet Union starting in the mid 1950s, Armenians became, you know, more open about our culture and, um, you know, we wanted to reclaim our, 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 our cultural roots. And that was also the case in, in Artsakh and in, um, and in other parts of the Armenian highlands. And so in response, uh, Azerbaijan, Soviet authorities, uh, wanted to counter uh, Armenian and Georgian claims to antiquity. Uh, and so they started, you know, finding reasons to justify the presence of uh, thousands of Christian indigenous monuments on the territory of Soviet Azerbaijan. And so they started, well, those are not Georgian monuments, they're not Armenian monuments, they're Caucasian Albanian monuments, mm-hmm. they're the direct ancestors of the Azerbaijanis. So they're, they're there for our monuments, and Armenians and Georgians have no uh, claim to that. And so uh, the monuments of our South Christian monuments in Azerbaijan's propaganda are called, um, yeah, they're called uh, Albanian monuments. Yeah. Now, those, if, there any, if there's anyone listening who has hope that in in the genocidal event of Azerbaijan taking over parts of Artsakh, that, well, at least the monuments will be preserved as Caucasian Albanian, yeah. um, you should not have a lot of hope for that because the same thing happened in Nakhijavan. In the 80s and 90s, they convinced the local population that the entire medieval Christian heritage of Nakhijavan was not Armenian. It was Caucasian Albanian, wow. right? So the people in Nakhijavan saw that as part of their heritage. They were, you know, in mm. some ways, uh, worshipping those churches in a way that Armenians do. Cause, and to be honest, a lot of Azeris in Nakhijavan are forcefully converted Islamized Armenians. Probably. And some of them know that. Um, so they were actually, you know, they were using the Albanian argument as a justification to continue right. 
worshiping those churches. I'm not saying worshiping at those churches, yeah. worshiping the churches, because we do both, right? So, and then 1997, the, the very monuments that were used for field trips in Nakhichev, the very monuments that were told were their own heritage. They started, they started bombarding them, mm-hmm. and by end of 2006, none of them remain. So if Azerbaijan takes over Artsakh, you think the same thing will kind of happen there? Something similar? If not right away, yeah, eventually will, uh, you know, under under the, the, the current did, yeah. regime. Yeah. However, they, they you know, they are trying to get an independent status for the Udi Christians, because Udi Christians are still technically part of the Armenian church, uh, even though they have, you know, they have to officially hate Armenians, right? <laughs> because that's the only way they can survive. The minority in Azerbaijan is to hate Armenians more than the Azerbaijan government does. <laughs> um, and so uh, they have actually applied to the Greek uh, patriarch in Istanbul, in Constantinople, uh, who kind of lives, you know, under Turkish pressure and, has to collaborate with the Turkish government. So they're trying to get an independent Orthodox status of Houthi Christians. Uh, I assume in the event of them being able to conquer and commit a genocide against Armenians in Artsakh, they're hoping to, you know, to, you know, declare Houthis as the indigenous Christians of Artsakh, move, move them in. But um, that is that is probably more done as a justification for some of the Azerbaijanis who may still care about the Christian monuments and be like, yeah, yeah we know, we'll just find a way to preserve them. I, I highly uh, doubt that would happen, at least, you know, from what we've seen in Nakhijaman. And, you know, uh, so when we say this is a genocide of our Armenians when Azerbaijan tried to conquest Artsakh, uh, you know, it's not a dramatization of what's going on. They, they, they really need that. And as we saw the, the, the shelling of the Shusha Cathedral on October the 8th, Azerbaijan has uh, no regard for sacredness, nor and we, as we saw in the bombardment, the targeted bombardment of the Children's Hospital in Stepanaka on October 28th, Azerbaijan has no regard for anything sacred uh, or, or anything civilian. And I say targeted. It's not the same when Armenia has to fight back and, and civilians are hurt. Azerbaijan is using Bayraktar uh, combat drones, yeah. F-16, Lockheed Martin uh, 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 jets that have very specific targeted Accurate, areas yeah. the same yeah. as, as cluster bombs that, you know, you sometimes use against military subjects when they hit civilians. Right. Um, so, Simon, one of the reasons that we're able to, to you know, look at these um, cross stones and we have photos of them, right? One of the reasons we do have documentation mm. is because of Argam Ivazian, right? Um, yes. And so he was um, a photojournalist and researcher who was sort of foundational in recording these monuments um, in Nakhichevan before the Soviet Union's collapse. And it's almost like he, you know, helped predict that they would be destroyed. Um, and it's also almost as though um, you you kind of carried on his work in a way. Um, I'm curious to know if you knew each other, if you spoke to him before or, or throughout your research. Mm. Yeah, of course. I've known uh, Argamai Vazian for many, many years. Um, he is a senior friend, uh, someone I look up to, as you said. He was both a researcher and a photographer and a prophet, prophet in some sense, because he um, foresaw the destruction of the monuments, and that's why he spent decades and decades and decades documenting every stone in Nakhijavan. I think a lot of people underappreciate the risks that he took. Uh, the sacrifices that he made toward his family, and we really own it to Argam Avajan and Argam Avajan alone for 
monumental work that he did in Dachshund. Of course, there are other photographs. There are researchers uh, as early as 1915, like Alain Baroud, who did wonderful photography at Tufa, mm-hmm. and others who also visited, you know, occasionally, but they did not spend years, let alone decades. You know, they, a lot of people just went in for a couple of days, took the photos, and they left. Some would not even take photos. My father visited Tufa as a um, uh, as a young to middle aged man um, with his friends, and they they were not allowed to take photographs, right? But Alga Maivazian spent uh, most of his life documenting the monuments, and he not just the Armenian ones, the Islamic ones too. No one knows the monuments of Tafidivan better than he does. I am not an expert on the monuments. My work uh, is research and political documentation of the destruction that took place from 1997 to 2006 mm-hmm. and the subsequent and ongoing denial of that crime. So my work is based on the documentation. So when I say 89 medieval churches, 5,840 cross stones and 22,000 tombstones were destroyed, those are not numbers that I have collected myself. That's the documentation of what Algam Ayvazian collected. Most likely there were more monuments that were destroyed mm. because Azerbaijan used its resources on a national level to find out everything that existed. And there is a chance that in his decades of work, Argam Avazian may not have had access to certain military areas um, where other monuments existed. Well, so we're talking about the lower, lower end number of monuments. And also Azerbaijan destroyed some questionable monuments. If they were not sure if something was a church or maybe a you know, Buddhist tomb left by the Mongols before they converted to Islam, the Ilkhanis, mm-hmm. they probably destroyed. In fact, I have an Azerbaijani colleague who argues that they destroyed an amazing Buddhist Mongol tomb because they thought it was Armenian. They took the safe route. Have you seen this happen to other minorities in Azerbaijan other than the Udi, but like the Lesgian and the, and the Talish? Anything like this with them? I've not done enough research to, to make a comparison. I don't know if they I have enough doubt, uh, stones so, and stuff. Yeah, I, I would highly doubt that. But, but in Nafijavan, in tandem with the cultural erasure of the historical, physical landscape that has happened, they have not only erased uh, the Armenian history in their historiography, they have also Islamized the diverse conquests that took place mm. of Nafijavan. So, for example, they won't talk about them the Arabs, the Mongols, the Seljuks, um, that you know, and others that came and conquered and left their uh, physical heritage, they talk about all of that as Islamic Turkish heritage. And another interesting factor, and you know, most most notably the Persian, right? The Persian uh, conquest and colonization, and and the Persian heritage of of, of Nazi Javan, they will never acknowledge that. They only mm. talk about the Islamic Turkish heritage, yeah. about all of those monuments, and very interestingly. Not Azerbaijani, uh, Azerbaijanis, you know, they, they say that they're more complex. They're not just Turks, like Armenians and others will, will call them. But in official, uh, documents, the Nafijavani Azerbaijanis are, are called Azerbaijani Turks. Mm. They're not called Azerbaijanis. So Azerbaijan has gone out of its way to Turkify Nafijavani. I don't know if this was done to impress Turkey. Mm. I don't know if because they fear Turkey wants to take Nafijavan, because under the 1921 Treaty of Carson, Moscow is under uh, Turkish protectorate. Um, so there, it's not. It wasn't just to wipe off the Armenian heritage because they fear Armenians may one day take it back. Right? Kind of a ridiculous statement. Uh, there, there might have been some 
fear of Turkish invasion of Nazi Devan one day. So they wanted to outdo the Turks in their anti-Armenian, anti-minority stance. Simon, when Argam was taking these photos in the Soviet Union mm. time, uh, what was happening to the Armenian population of Nakhichevan at that point? Were there not a lot left in Nakhichevan, and why is that? So yeah, he was one of the last Armenians of Nakhichevan. He was born and raised in Nakhichevan. He moved to Yerevan, but his family stayed there. When Nakhichevan was placed under Soviet Azerbaijan's rule, uh, under pressure from Ataturk, and you know Lenin and Stalin thought that if they were nice to Ataturk, maybe Turkey would become socialist and join the Soviet yeah. Union. So they went out of their way to make sure that Nakhichevan would uh, become part of Soviet Azerbaijan, even though almost half of the population was Armenian, and many of the Muslim uh, Nakhichevanis were forcefully converted Armenians. Uh, there are entire villages in Nakhichevan, so there are a lot of Islamized Armenians in Nakhichevan today who probably hate Armenians more, right? Because when you're forced yeah. to change your ethnicity, you become, you know, worse of a nationalist than, than the yeah. actual church. You, you have to prove it. So, whatever, yeah. Right. So the Armenian population was forced out in a slow motion ethnic cleansing right. uh, in the Soviet era. They were discriminated against. They're not allowed to have decent jobs. They were not allowed to have any functional Armenian churches. They were not allowed to have Armenian schools. So the conditions were such where they were forced to leave. And Haidar Aliyev, who was the KGB leader of Nakhichevan from the early 60s, he was the man in charge of this. And he actually had an encounter with Argam Ayvazian in 1965, in which he saw, uh, he, he ran into Argam uh, in a KGB station after Argam was kicked off as a child. Wait, wait, wait. So Ilam Aliyev's dad, who was in the KGB, and yes. <laughs> he met the Argam, the, the photographer, like, stopped him? Yes. That's crazy. Wait, in 1965, I know it's an unbelievable story. Uh, I, have, I have talked about this with Argam Ayvazian like, for three days. Uh, I, I, I interrogated him, basically, right? Because it, it could be a story that, yeah. you know, someone uh, might make it up because it's a cool story. It's not a cool story. It's a very... Uh, surreal documented story yeah. and he told me yeah I have an entire I can tell you everything that happened <laughs> even the one of the Azerbaijani reviewers of the hyperallergic piece he was like dude take this out it just sounds too unreal and I was yeah. like I so I had to say, sit him or her down I don't want to say the name so I, I said him or her down and, and told the story I was like this is how it happened and he's like he or she yeah. okay this, this makes sense now you should, you should leave it in. Yeah, so he, he runs into um, uh, Heydar Aziz. He has no idea who Heydar is at the time. He gets picked up uh, uh, for taking photos of a church near his birthplace, goes to a, a KGB station. And Heydar Aziz at the time was chief of uh, second or first in command of Azerbaijan's KGB. He was visiting. He was on a duty uh, back in his, in, his, in his home region of Nakhichevan. And, and yeah. they're like, what is this teenager here? Like, what did you do with the trunk? <laughs> Like, no, he was taking church photos. So they take, uh, you know, he was like, okay, kid, let's have tea. So he, he call, calls him in for tea. And he's like, so why are you taking photos of churches? He's like, well, you know, I'm Armenian. So there are Armenian churches. I was taking photos for fun. And he's like, uh, yeah, he that guy's very upset. And he said, there are no Armenian Shmarmenia things here. <laughs> Armenian Shmarmenia? Don't, don't take. <laughs> Armenian yeah, Shmarmenia. Armenian Shmarmenia things. Yeah. Don't, don't. Uh, uh, I forget how the, the Russian part sounds, but he said it in Russian. That's crazy. And yeah, so that yeah. was his first warning not to take uh, photos. He was a kid. Imagine being a kid being told, 
mm. by a powerful person, don't do this. And he continued. So I, I wonder if in some ways it actually that, you know, inspired him because, you know, as a teenager, right? It's yeah. like, right. how dare you tell me that's like uh, photos <laughs> of the church. And, and he just spends the next several decades going back and back and back until 1989, I think was his last visit, 87 or 89. And Haydar is the same guy who 30 years later, you know, Start right. instituted the, the destruction of everything. Yeah, exactly. And um, the Aliyevs are from Nakhichevan, right? That's where their home region is. The Aliyev family. Yes, they claim so. Even though Haydar Aliyev was born on the territory of the Republic of Armenia in Tunic, but they quickly moved to Nakhichevan, and so they are considered the Nakhichevan clan. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of their political power and clout comes from Nakhichevan, even though the Pashaya family, which is a mer- family that. Uh, Aliyev married into is trying to actually take power away from Ilham Aliyev. And uh, the, the war in Artsakh is, has been arguably one of the reasons why Aliyev, you know, he wanted to impress his wife's family and prove that he deserves to stick to power instead of transferring it to either his wife or his uh, son or one of the two dogs. I didn't know that's how it still worked there. That's crazy. Yeah, that is wild. So, Simon, of course, these monuments are spiritual and are ingrained with our culture, and their destruction goes well beyond physical ruin, of course. Um, The destruction of these monuments represents many things, right? As you mentioned, it represents a destruction of some sort of tie to our ancestral um, family. It represents, you know, losing a piece, a physical piece of our history as well as non-physical. It also represents a a shift in in the ownership of, of our land, um, but we see this mm-hmm. in Turkey, as we mentioned earlier, although there are some, uh, you know, a couple, yeah. yeah, there are some differences and a couple um, ruins that do still mm-hmm. stand in Turkey. Um, I'm curious, what are some parallels and maybe differences as well between Azerbaijani monument destruction and that in Turkey? Mm-hmm. So um, that's a great question. In general, uh, cultural destruction is power projection. Right, we have seen ISIS do this to Assyrians, Yazidis, and Kurds, and others in the Middle East. Um, we saw the Taliban do this uh, to the remnants of the Buddhist Mongols in Afghanistan. Um, we have seen, you know, white settlers do this in the United States, especially in the beginning. Either destruction or, you know, miscreation that those were. Like Mesa Verde in Colorado, they said it was built by Europeans because, mm-hmm. you know, savages had no ability or imagination to build an amazing civilization. We've seen this throughout history. Uh, the one, first one recorded in Armenian history is in the 8th century before Common Era, uh, when the Neo-Assyrians attacked the Temple of Musasir, um, which by then had been in existence for about 150 years, and it was destroyed. And uh, Sargon II, if I'm not mistaken, the Neo-Assyrian king, you know, uh, proudly made a note of how he destroyed the Urartian um, uh, temple. And I know not everyone agrees that, you know, Urartians were necessarily Armenian. However, toward the end of Urartu, at the time when the destruction happened, Armenia and Urartu were used interchangeably, uh, as we we saw later in the, the Persian inscriptions. So... That, that was the first mention, and then we had, you know, of course when Armenia became Christian, there was destruction of the uh, pagan mm-hmm. uh, heritage, uh, right? We need to acknowledge that. Of right. course, and sometimes there were exceptions, like the Gar- Garni Temple was 
preserved the Etchmiadzin fireplace um, was preserved, as we found out 50 years ago in the 1950s, I guess 70 years ago, during the renovations, they found the pagan fireplace, the yeah. worship place under the basement. Um, but, you know, that, that was for different reasons that was not done to erase the Armenian right uh, existence. It was done to redefine Armenian uh, existence in a way that, uh, you know, became very, you know, heavily influential in, in our uh, cultural awareness and culture, uh, in the way we built our culture. So the Arabs show up, uh, they were the first major colonizers after Christianity was adopted in Armenia. Uh, and there was destruction, not only destruction of churches, they were actually, Armenians were not allowed to build churches, let alone Qashqars or cross stones. A uh, major example was in the early 8th century when an Armenian church in Nakhijavan was burned along with uh, hundreds of Armenian noblemen in the Holy Trinity Church. Uh, and then when the Seljuk Turks started invading the Armenian homeland, there were also mass burning of churches. There was the Barabert in the 12th century Barabert um, castle where 10,000 Armenian manuscripts were uh, saved. This is now in, in the territory of the Republic of Armenia in Tunic. Uh, the Seljuk Turks uh, set them to a blaze. Uh, and so and this continued in, throughout the century. And of course, in 1915, when the Armenian genocide started, Turkey adopted an official policy of targeting the churches uh, as part of the destruction. Uh, and they had an inspiration from the 1895 Holocaust of Urfa. Uh, Urfa was the hometown of my ancestors, as I mentioned, also a hometown of biblical Abraham. Uh, and in Urfa, the large Armenian cathedral there, uh, in 1895, 3,000 Armenians, mostly women and children, took refuge there, thinking that Turks would not there, you know, touch their sacredness. Mm. And they set the church to um, fire sorry, yeah. from all the entrances. And so all 3,000 Armenians were burned alive uh, okay. inside the church. That's okay. why it's called the Urfa Holocaust. And, and so building on that, uh, in 1915, yeah, the Turkish government started targeting uh, Armenian churches, and it continued throughout the years, uh, especially in the you know 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, there were the mass destruction, but it never got to the point where they destroyed every single piece, which is right. kind of impossible. There's so much Armenian heritage in Turkey. Yeah. You know, there'll always be something left. Uh, and so, yeah, Nazi Javan, the Azri authorities there, I think, you know, they wanted to impress in some ways the Turks mm -hmm. to do something much worse. There's actually a new theory that I've been pondering. I need to do some more research on this. If I ever end up writing a book on the subject or actually, you know, spending mm -hmm. time, just, I, 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 you know, this I'd is love to irrelevant, hear it. but just yeah, so no, you know, I'd love to hear it. Just so you know, the 10 years I've spent, 10, 13 years on the research, I've done it on my own time, you know, on my own dime. Um, even though I'm affiliated with the University of Colorado, with other academic institutions, I've worked for Amnesty International, I have also currently, you know, a, a part-time paid affiliation with the ANCA. None of those organizations have ever been involved in the funding uh, uh, of, of, of my research. It has been mm -hmm. free, just like I got my budget and his entire life. He got a grant once from the Soviet government, Armenian government, to do research. And sometimes people will say, but he was paid at some point. <laughs> I'm like, yes, like for a week-long mission yeah. out yeah. of like three decades of work. That, that, that doesn't count. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Turkish influence is enormous in what happened in Nakhijavan. The Turkish influence is enormous over, over Azerbaijan. 
uh, it's really Turkey that's pushing Azerbaijan into the pan-Turkic yeah. uh, aspirations that it has. And, it, you know, Erdogan was not a pan-Turkist to start with. He just wanted to come to power. So he was a moderate Islamist, uh, as you may recall, in, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then he realized that the best way to stay, you know, to stay in power and expand his power is to go full crazy, nationalist, fascist, and, and that's what we're seeing right now. With, with the destruction of these ruins, there's a sense of permanence. Um, there's a sense of not being able to go back in time, of course. And like Western Armenia or Nakhichevan, we can't get these monuments back and we can't go back to visit these lands that hosted them. Um, in pursuing justice for this strain of cultural genocide, where does mm. one begin? How do we you know, prevent this in the future? How do we start in, in pursuing justice for something like this? Um. That's a very good question. There's, you know, three ways of pursuing justice, in my view. One is working, you know, within the legal framework that exists. Um, you know, some people work outside, you know, against the system, right? They, they take extreme measures to achieve justice. And there's a third way where, you know, you say, well, there's no system that can be trusted and there's no point of of, of being violent against the system. So there's a system of working out, you know, outside, outside the system, not within, not against it, but outside. I think what uh, I have been personally part of and many communities, but especially the Colorado community part of it, is working in some ways outside the system. You know, we couldn't achieve justice for the, the cultural genocide uh, uh, in this community. So, well, we decided to, to undo the destruction because the idea of the destruction was to erase. The idea of the destruction, to say those monuments never existed, right? right. It, was, it was an erasure in so many ways. And so we thought it would rebuild um, the, one of the monuments on a prominent uh, ground in the United States as a way to say, you know, this is our response. You, you, will, you will destroy. We may never be able to have any of the monuments repaired on the territory of Nazi Germany. Um, we may never be able to take the Jewish International Court. I've tried in, 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 in some ways, but this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll tell, we will rebuild what, what you destroy in one way or another, um, whether it's in situ, meaning on site in you know, archaeological terms, or on the grounds of the Colorado State Capitol. Right. Of course, we engage the system to do that, but that's not the same system I was talking yeah. about for, you know, right. getting to. Uh, Simon, where else could we see... I, aren't there some Khachkars that survived? Maybe they were moved beforehand. Where could, like, an Armenian go see one of these mm. Julfa uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple of dozen that were taken out of the cemetery, especially during the Soviet era. There are some in an ethnographic museum in Tbilisi, Georgia, which, by the way, Azerbaijan tried to confiscate saying this is from our territory, <laughs> but let's take them and, and cut them into pieces. Uh, uh, thankfully, Georgia, one of the few instances where Georgia acted like, you know, finally. decent <laughs> neighbor of Armenia. Um, there are several in Echmiatin, Holy uh, Sea Cathedral in Armenia. Um, there are some in museums. There was a temporary one at the Met in New York uh, that was brought from Armenia. Wow. Uh, but yeah, probably Echmiatin is the best place to see them. The replicas some of them are really good, like the Colorado one. There's also replicas in other parts of the world. And you know, the photos also exist. And in right. some ways, even though not directly from there, but in Khachkars in general, even though each and every Khachkar is, is unique in its 
design, you know, they some in some ways they are, um, you know, they're they're interconnected. So if anyone sees a Khashgar, they should see that in in those Khashgars, the heritage carried by uh, by what was lost to Jufa. And just to make one off remark about Khashgars in general, um, you know, as you know, we don't just wa- worship at our sacred sites as Armenians. We worship our sacred sites, right? It is a very indigenous, right, pagan way. Even though we're the first Christian nation, we we, we do that. It's, yeah. it's, it's undeniable. Once a church is always a church. We're yeah. not like Americans who will, you know, convert a church to a nightclub and go dirty dance in front of frescoes of Jesus, which happens in Denver. There is a club literally called the church, oh. and it has Christian right. frescoes. Right? That's <laughs> unimaginable for us. There. So the Hotchkars, they actually did. You know, like it was kind of like a a Protestant movement because Khashkars allowed Armenians to avoid like the church system. If you wanted to pray by yourself, right, you have a direct connection to God. So in some ways, Khashkars gave autonomy to, to Armenian Christians to to not have to necessarily go to church service. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 that that's not my my theory. I've heard others say that uh, or suggest. I like you know, that, that individuality of that. That's interesting. But, so yeah, Hajkars are are sort of our direct connection to both God and to our ancestors. And yeah. even atheist Armenians worship Hajkars, right? Because we we see them, our history, our roots, well, our existence. The, there's the Vishabakars, which are like uh the, like the predecessor, right? Like if you go to Armenia, right. there's a big park, and they have these old Vishabakars, which which translates to like dragon yes. rocks. Yeah, they were. Yeah. There were originally placed sources of water to protect them yeah. uh, from other demons, and mm-hmm. they're some of the earliest Khashgars from like the fourth, third century. They are carved on Vishabha cards. You're probably yeah. seeing, you know, some of that. the, the transition. And, you know, yeah, yeah, and I'm not a Khashgar expert. As I said, I'm a political scientist. <laughs> I teach international relations. I do specialist. But if you if you want to learn about Khashgars, the best. Uh, uh, a specialist is Hamlet Petrosian, and he has a book called The Khachkar. And nice. it's, it's, Fittingly it's really a monumental study. And he's also the main archaeologist of Tigranakev, the 2000 uh, year old Hellenistic Armenian city in Aksak. And, you know, he has been my point of contact uh, in the homeland in terms of giving me information of the, about the monuments and what's going mm-hmm. on. Um, some of that information I'm not at liberty to, yeah. to disclose. But when times. I say that 4,000 uh, cultural sites are in danger in Artsakh, that's not an understatement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is the reality, and that's the reality of Armenian existence uh, in our you know, shrinking Armenian highlands where we've been oppressed and, and uh, pushed into borders. Um, Definitely. Uh, it's a very for, contemporary for thing. And this yeah. is why it's... Yeah, this is why it's such a big fight for, for us. You guys know that, but you know we, we, we need to convey this to, to others. So I hope that maybe this message will get to some. That's what this is about. You know, yeah. it's important for all of us to learn about you know Julfo and everything in between. Absolutely, and as you mentioned uh, earlier, Simon, the goal of this cultural demolition is is erasure. But your work has helped to prevent that erasure and sort of um, rewrite some of it as well. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. So much respect, Simon. Good yes, stuff, thank so. you. Yeah, and, and I didn't do it. For anyone, it is for me so I could, you know, sleep better. Because I, yeah. at night, I mentioned I couldn't fall asleep after I got engaged. Because nice. I was like, if I don't do this, who will? Yeah. Yeah. And the answer was no one. Yeah, uh, and it's true. not just doing it, it's doing it right. 
uh, and making sure that, that no one can ever refute a single word you've written on the yes, subject. Absolutely. And that has been the case so far and will stay so. Well, I'm looking forward to visiting Denver and seeing the Khachkar, the Jufa Khachkar yes, that you guys made the there. I'm, yeah, very sure. down. I'm actually very excited about <laughs> it. But I would love that. Unfortunately, it was vandalized. Simon, we'll rebuild. We will, Exa- absolutely. That's the motto. We will rebuild. That's right. On that note, Simon, thank you so much. Thank you for so much for coming on. Have and a, uh, have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. All right. The honest reality is, without the work of researchers and activists like Argam Maivazian, carried on by Simon Marakian, we would not have a record of Nakhichevan's Armenian past, our thousands of khachkars and beautiful structures. If not for us, no one would have taken that initiative. With the repeated displacement from our native lands comes the forced abandonment of not only our homes, but also the monuments which make those lands our home. Marakian predicts Azerbaijan will erase thousands of medieval khachkars, plus several dozen lesser-known churches, especially in the Hadrut area marking significant erasure early on and eventually either full erasure or renovation of some major Armenian churches to fit the Azeri narrative. Since our conversation in October, Marakian's predictions have already proven true, as we've already begun to see both the desecration of Armenian cemeteries and monuments and the subsequent revisionism of our history. Marakian intends to continue this research and fight against cultural genocide as Artsakh's fate unfolds. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Haituk Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Krista Marina Apardian. And I'm Haig Minasian. And we're just a couple of Armenians. Talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Go ahead. Try to destroy them.